Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. Now, what is a companion video? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we don't always have time to get around to all the live comments and questions that get sent in. But if you sent them in, I want to make sure they get answered properly in a video. So that's what we do here on the weekends is we gather up those unused questions and we get all caught up. Now, we actually had a lot of questions to get caught up on this weekend. So we're actually doing two companion videos. We did one yesterday and now we're picking up to get through uh, the last few remaining ones that we still have. So let's not waste any time and get to your topic, shall we? And we're going to get things started off here with Crone Dog, who writes, one of three. Yesterday, the character limit ruined my point. Uh, so I sounded like an idiot. The profit of a film is budget minus revenue. Uh, I, actually, it's the other way around. It's revenue minus budget, but uh, not to mention some other factors as well. But I see what you're saying. Solo's production problems caused 70% of the film to be refilmed, minimum, uh, inflating the production budget to $275 million. This uh, would... Uh, this would not have happened with a sequel. If Solo made $700 million, it'd lose money and still justify a sequel because of positive word of mouth and a cheaper sequel budget. The bigger problem is that with the low audience turnout, about one-third of the other Disney-era films, with $400 million, Solo 2 will, will never make financial sense for a full movie or TV series, and the best hope is that Disney Plus does something non-traditional in the $70 to $100 million range. Yeah, now listen... Absolutely. We talk a lot about Solo being like the first Star Wars movie. If it didn't lose Disney money, it, and it did lose them money, but if for whatever argument's sake that they didn't, it didn't really make them any money. But yeah, it lost the money. Part of that problem was the fact that they had to spend a bunch more money on reshooting a bunch of stuff because, of course, infamously, Lord and Miller got removed from the project while when they were about 90% done filming the movie. They brought in Ron Howard to retool the film. And listen, the results were pretty good. I, Solo was a really fun, good space adventure movie. Solo was great. I enjoyed it a lot. Not as much as, you know, The Force Awakens, not as much as Rogue One, but I thought it was really fun. So yeah, the budgetary inflation was definitely a problem. The bigger problem, though, was the fact that there was just not enough people interested in it. And I go back to this all the time, but when they first announced the solo movie, you go all the way back to my AMC movie days or Collider movie talk days, whatever. When they first came out, I said, this, this is not really going to work all that well. People are not interested in a Han Solo movie that does not star Harrison Ford, especially when we just had Harrison Ford on screen as Han Solo just a year or two ago. This is, of course, back when this all stuff was coming out. And sure enough, when it came time for Solo to come out, and it wasn't the best marketing campaign either, to be honest with you, but you saw a drastic Lack of interest. Now, look, a lot of films would kill to make $400 million or close to $400 million, but not a Star Wars movie. And that was a major step backwards, and I don't see that being corrected. Now, of course, they recognize that a lot of stuff about Solo worked. One of the things that worked really well and that the audience seemed to really like was Donald Glover's portrayal of Lando Calrissian. That was great. And so we just heard that they're going to do a limited series of a Lando Calrissian limited series for Disney+. Plus. Now, they haven't officially said Donald Glover's coming back for it. 
I've got to believe that he will be. I don't see the point of doing it if they don't. So I got to assume that he will be at this point. Uh, but yeah, you're right. There's just not really many economic realities that suggested a solo two would work. Maybe we see we see Alden Ehrenreich come back and appear as Han Solo in a guest spot here or there. That would be kind of cool. But that's where I think we're at, Crone Dog. So I think you're, you're making a lot of sense. All right, next up. Robert Suarez writes, Star and Star Plus are both international services. Yes, they are. Star is integrated in Disney Plus in markets like India, and it is a standalone app in Latin America. The strategy for comparable content in the USA is still Hulu. Yes, that was a big thing of confusion for a number of people, including myself. When they at the Disney uh, big presentation started talking about Star, and then they started talking about Star for places that had Disney Plus, Star was going to become another section of Disney Plus, just like Marvel is a section of Disney Plus, National Geographic, Pixar, uh, Star Wars. Star was going to be a section of Disney Plus. And I thought, so they're going to make that a section of Disney Plus here in America because we have Disney Plus? No. What Star basically really is, for all intents and purposes, it is a, in many territories, not a replacement for Disney Plus, although in some places it is. But in a lot of places, it's actually a substitute for Hulu and the content that is on Hulu. Because remember, there's a lot of content that Disney puts on Hulu and not on Disney+. And so in certain countries, like, say, I believe Canada, that does not get Hulu, but they have Disney+. Plus. What Disney+, Plus is going to do is add a section on that country's iteration of Disney+, Plus and include a star section, which... For Like I said, for all intents and purposes, we'll basically carry the Hulu library. Why not just put Hulu in Canada? Well, that's a good question. Why not just put Hulu in a lot of these other countries? That's a good question. I'm sure there's probably licensing problems. But I'm glad you brought that up, Roberto, because as they were doing the live stream, that did confuse me, but it got all cleared up. So thanks for bringing that up, Roberto. All right, next up. Excited now writes, I nearly fell off my couch when they announced Shogun. Oh, dude, me too. Original was supposed to star Sean Connery, but due to a tiny career dip, was not considered big enough, and yet Richard Chamberlain was. Uh, one of my favorite books, too. Listen, not taking anything away from all the Star Wars announcements, not taking anything away from all the Marvel announcements or the Pixar announcements and the other Disney Plus announcements, not at all. But if you watch the live stream I did with the watch along of the Disney announcement, easily the thing that got me most excited was when they announced at that Disney presentation that FX would be doing a Shogun series. I, if you've watched me for any period of time, know when people ask, what's the one book you would like to see made into a movie or another series? I always say the same damn thing. Shogun. James Clavell's Shogun. That's the one I want. I remember watching as a little kid the miniseries, although I think I saw it in a rerun. I was a little, uh, you know, I was a little young for it, but that was amazing. And I've always wanted to see another iteration of it. I think it is made for today's, you know, story on screen storytelling as the thing I got most excited about. And I can in FX's hands, perfect company to be doing it. Absolutely perfect company to be doing it. And I'm so excited about it. All right, uh, Dookie Shoes 0115 writes, over under 50%, we hear something about Fantastic Four. Well, obviously, over. We, I mean, we really didn't hear anything about Fantastic Four other than it's coming. 
And John Watts, the director of Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home, is going to be directing it. Uh, really didn't hear anything else about that. I don't expect we're going to hear much about it in the foreseeable near future. Uh, mark me on this. I'm not even convinced we'll hear anything more about it in all of 2021. I'm not saying that definitively. I'm just saying I won't be surprised if we don't get any like definitive solid news on Fantastic Four through all of 2021. They got a lot of stuff they're doing right now. They've got a lot of uh, pies in the oven. And so it might be a while. Or maybe we'll find out stuff really soon. Who knows? But we definitely did hear something. All right. Suthius writes, hey, guys, uh, the band classroom scene in the Soul trailer. Oh, how good did that look? Uh, did they shoot that in actual classroom? So photorealistic. I swear Pixar's backgrounds in their movies look so convincing in the opening scene of Toy Story 4 where they're rescuing RC so real. Now, I'm telling you, what, and it's not just Pixar. Let's be clear. It's not just Pixar, but Pixar has certainly upped the game. There are so many scenes until they do animated elements within it that when you look at their quote-unquote sets, you have to be reminded that you're not actually looking at an actual real physical set. It's actually all digital and animated, and they really have upped their game on that level. And again, it's not just Pixar, but Pixar is certainly kind of leading the way on that, and they have done a terrific job, and that classroom scene looked great. I just – I remember back when I was in high school in band class and stuff like that. It was so cool. I, I honestly, I cannot wait to watch Soul. I cannot wait to watch Soul. I'm Batman Writes. Uh, which was better, the DC fandom or the Disney meeting? They were two very, very different things. They were very different things. Um, like one, it was very definitively a fan event. Right. That's what DC Fandome was. It was a definitive fan event. The Disney announcement, which was done in just four hours, was a investors event. Now, they allowed everybody else to see it. So it's kind of a fan event. But really, it was geared towards investors. Um, so I, I look, they each had their strengths. They each had their weaknesses. Um we got a lot more announcements at the DC event, or sorry, I should say at the Disney event. The Disney event gave a lot more flat-out announcements. Fandom was about getting everybody kind of psyched up, giving them their first looks at some things that they already knew was coming, and they did it very well. I thought DC Fandom was a great event. So I, I don't know. It, it they were look, they were both very good in their own ways, being done for different purposes. If I could only pick one. It would probably be the Disney um, announcement event because, again, it was just all the stuff that came out of it. But that wasn't really the purpose of Fandom so much. It was meant to be a full convention-like experience for fans, right? Like, for example, um, at DC Fandom, they did this great little documentary on – all the guys who do the voice of Batman in animated form from around the world, right? That was so fun. That was so fun. And you didn't get anything like that at the Disney event, obviously, because the Disney event is just meant for announcements, a couple of sneak peeks, all investor stuff, talking about the business. So they didn't have that. So while I kind of preferred the Disney one because of all the huge announcements, the DC fandom one had things like that. And that made it pretty special. So they were really two very different things. You know, they were different things, and I thought they were both done very, very well. Uh, okay, Ryan Loner writes, I imagine after all the Disney announcements, Bob Iger just sat and watched the sunrise like Thanos. Yeah, big Papa Iger, ladies and gentlemen. Big Papa Iger does it again. 
He's like, let's get the whole world to talk about Disney right now. Big Papa Iger always finds a way, even though he's not the CEO anymore. And for, uh, for those of you who forget that, a couple months ago, he announced he stepped down as CEO. He promoted Bob Chapek to be his successor in the CEO role. But Big Papa Iger is still the boss. He is still the chairman of the board of Disney. Uh, he is still Bob Chapek's boss. And uh, although Bob Chapek will be obviously have a lot more to do with everything going on at Disney now and a lot of credit to him for that event as well. But yeah, I can just see Bob Iger sitting like Thanos looking over the countryside, looking at what he had done. He's uh, he's the boss. All right. James L.H. writes. Hey, John. Great commentary with Disney. Thank you. That was a lot of fun, actually. Thank you so much for that. Excited for Aliens, Star Wars, and Marvel. I also want to mention something else. When I saw the Japanese setting, I don't know why I knew it was Shogun. I love the original when I saw it in the 80s. A remake, uh, a remake about time. Listen, you if you go back and watch the live commentary, as I was doing the watch along with the Disney event, you could see my face before they said Shogun, and it dawned on me that they're talking about Shogun. I went, look, you see my face? I'm like, is this Shogun? And then like two seconds later, Shogun. I'm like, ah! And I like freaked out like a seven-year-old girl. I mean, it, it was, um, yeah, it, again, amidst all the great Star Wars stuff, Marvel stuff, Aliens, Pixar, that's the one that got me most excited. I cannot wait for that. And the Aliens one, I mean, Noah, Holly doing... The guy who did Legion now doing this, that's pretty great. And he's got Ridley Scott working as an executive producer on it. I mean, that's great too. But that Shogun thing, James, that was the one that got me most excited. All right. Miguel writes, so much nerdgasm during the Disney presentation. Do you think that Marvel picking Watts to do Fantastic Four is a sign of their confidence in his work with Spider-Man 3? Uh, Tim Roth coming back as Abomination. Yeah, no kidding. I was very excited to hear about it. I've always said Abomination will be back. I've always said for years, I have said, listen, they specifically did not kill him in that Hulk movie, and they have referenced Abomination a couple of times in the MCU over the years, and I've always said, you watch, they will bring Abomination back one way, shape, or form. Tim Roth is coming back as Abomination, which is great. Do you think he will be human or mixed? Thanks a lot, John. Watch you every day. Well, thank you so much. About the John Watts thing, no, they didn't need, I, I don't see... They're just shooting fantastic or they're just shooting Spider-Man three now. Like that movie's not done. They're still like in the first half of shooting that movie. So no, that's not it. They're confident in him because of what he did with Spider-Man homecoming and Spider-Man far from home, them going ahead and preemptively giving him fantastic four. That's their vote of confidence for what he did in homecoming and far from home. And I'm sure they have every confidence in the world with him doing Spider-Man three as well. But I think it's a more of a commentary on that. And yes, Tim Roth coming back as Abomination, Miguel. Mm. Very excited about that, man. Very excited. All right. Our friend El Postino, the postman from Canada writes, Hey, John, and maybe Rob, who's obviously not here today, over under 40% that an episode of Andor, that's the Cassian Andor show, will feature uh, Cassian enlisting Admiral Ozil as a rebel spy. I'll go way under. Ozil was, I, I don't think, I mean, unless they did something in some kind of weird novel thing that I'm not aware of, in the movies is pretty clear. Ozil's an imperial. He just made a bad call. He was pompous. He was arrogant. And he made a bad call in the attack on Hoth. And that got him killed. Uh, but I don't think he was a, a rebel. 
I do not believe he was a rebel spy. So I'm, I'm going to go under 40% on that. I'm going to go on again, unless I'm missing something in one of the expanded universe novels that I'm missing. I don't think he was. So I'm going to go under 40%. doesn't mean we can't come across him though. All right. Connie Sang writes, I nearly cried watching the soul trailer because the trombone player in it is named Connie. Oh, that's sweet. And I was a trombone player in high school. That's amazing. I dreamt of being a musician contributing to movie soundtracks back in the day. Cannot wait to watch this movie. This spot they played, uh, this new spot they played for soul is definitively to me the best spot they've done so far. I think it is easily and definitively the best promo spot for soul so far. It gave you a real sense of what is the DNA of this movie? What's the personality of this movie? The other trailers were good too. They gave you a sense of what's this movie kind of about and whatever, but this is the one that really gave you a sense of the personality of it. And that classroom scene was definitely one of the, the highlights of it. So yeah, I agree with the Connie. So cool. It was so cool. And it felt so, so neat. And it made me think about my days in high school, uh, being in a band class and everything too. All right. Uh, Christopher Chow, who tips in $20. Thank you, Christopher, for supporting the channel on that level, man. We appreciate that. Um, Hey, John. You should do more watch-alongs. Uh, that was so much fun yesterday with the Disney investors call. Disney Plus stepping it up. I bet the number of subscriptions will increase now after these announcements. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, they're going to they're already up to 86 million, which is crazy. They they are they have more than one third. More than one third of Netflix subscription base after just one year. Think about that. Think about how long Netflix as a streaming service has been around. And they clearly still have far more subscribers at this point. But I think they were hoping to have like 40 million subscribers by the end of year one. And here they are at like 86 million. Crazy. And this is only going to help. This is a, a company that's just going to keep growing and growing. And they absolutely destroyed that presentation. Now, the question becomes, will it be quality content? You know, Bob Iger came out on stage, Big Papa Iger came out and he said, you know, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. Okay. Well, you gave us a lot of very exciting announcements. And by the way, some of them looked really stupid. I'm sorry, was anybody asking for a Mighty Ducks reboot? Was anybody asking for Sister Act 3? Anybody? Did anybody ask for a John Stamos coaching a girls basketball team show? Anybody? No. But they did make... A lot of very, very huge announcements. But now the, the big question will be, will that content be quality? Will it be Mandalorian or will it be Noel? Remember that little Christmas movie they did with Anna Kendrick where Anna Kendrick was Santa's daughter? That was crap. And I love Anna Kendrick. Love Anna Kendrick. That movie was complete and utter crap. So that's great. They had a great event, made great announcements. But where it's going to matter is when this content starts rolling out, will it be Mandalorian quality or will it be Noel quality? Will it be a triumph or will it be wah, wah? like that's and that's going to be the real thing. But yes, just on the, the strength of the, the announcement alone, Christopher, you're right. You're going to see there's they're going to hit 100 million subscribers before the end of February. I, I, I mean, that's just, I don't know that for sure, but my guess is by the end of February, they're going to hit hundred million subscribers. Thanks for writing that in Christopher. And thanks again for supporting the channel. Uh, Jesse writes, 
A lot of Disney talk today, but The Last of Us Part 2 swept the Game Awards. It absolutely did. And we did talk about that on the show the other day. Uh, winning Best Narrative, Best Action Adventure Game, Best Game Direction, Best Audio Design, Best Performance for Laura Bailey and Abby uh, as Abby, and the biggest award of 2020 Game of the Year. Uh, yeah, it did. We talked about that on the show. And listen, while I did not pick up my PlayStation 4 controller and play it, I did sit down uh, in one day and watched the 12 to 16 hour cutscene movie version of last of us two. I have never, never seen any story, any narrative in any game ever come remotely close to last of us two. It was an absolute uncompromised triumph as far as story and narrative. For all I know, the gameplay was crap. I didn't play the gameplay, but the story of it, because, and I, this was coming off a year where I got to watch, you know, I watched the narratives of uh, the latest God of War, you know, Uncharted 4, Thief's End. I saw some really good narratives, the original Last of Us. The Last of Us 2 did more with their characters and the human experience than anything. I, I couldn't have been more thrilled for it. I, I was not surprised and totally thrilled. My wife, Anne, was totally cheering for uh, Animal Crossing. Very cool that it got nominated at all. Uh, and another indie game like Hades got nominated. I want to pick up Hades, by the way. I, ever since I saw it nominated for Best Game, I'm like, oh, I got to get that, especially when I saw it was an indie-produced game. I really want to play that at some point. So, But yes, congrats to the folks over at Naughty Dog for uh, Last of Us Part Two, well-deserved. All right, Leave It to Beave writes, one of two. Uh, I watched the live stream last night, and wow, so much fun content. One thing that did catch my ear when ESPN was talking about new college football deal with the SEC, how you've never gotten into college football before. Uh, I live in uh, East Tennessee, uh, so growing up, they weren't there weren't any pro football teams around. I grew up loving to watch the Tennessee uh, Vols. I, guess, I think it's the Volunteers, right? So many traditions, tailgating by the river, the orange and white, the power tee, and the big uh, scene, the big scene uh, of all uh, Nyland Stadium uh, holds over 102,000 people. Which, seriously, the size of college football stadiums is unbelievable holding 102,000 people on game days if you have a bucket list uh, add a college football game in Tennessee to it if you're not too familiar with Tennessee uh, that's where Peyton Manning went to school oh I knew that I knew Peyton went there uh, anywho great show and go big orange yeah listen one of the things I'm a big sports guy and you know I've said before if I wasn't doing movie content stuff I would be doing sports content stuff. I, I would be probably working a daytime show in a local ESPN radio station somewhere. That's probably what I would be doing because I love sports so much. I follow sports incessantly. I watch a couple hours of sports center every day, but the one thing I've never really gotten into is college football. Now, don't get me wrong. I keep my eye on it. I'm interested in the storylines. Love seeing the Nick Saban, you know, roll tide with Bama and what they're able to do year in, year out is pretty crazy. And whenever it comes down, down to the playoffs, I always watch the playoffs, sure. But I don't really follow it. But it is insane how popular college football is in this country where I live right now. Because, you know, in my country, um, nobody really cares all that much about college football. We love our CFL and we love watching NFL in Canada as well, but we don't really care much about college football, but here it is for those, for our international friends watching, you have no idea 
the amount of of just absolute fanaticism a lot of towns have about college football it is crazy how people how much people love it and it's inspiring to see i love i love seeing people be insane fans for something i just love fandom whether it's a fan of being star wars or it's a fan of being a fan of harry potter or people being a fan of college football i'm just a big fan of fandom and it's really inspiring to see thanks for sending that in leave it to beef all right next up jesse c writes I don't want Warner Brothers to go down for the mistakes of AT&T. The old people in charge almost ruined DC because they wanted to catch up with Disney. Hamada is hired and is good. Hamada's done a great job, as a matter of fact. Walter Hamada's done a great job with uh, the DC content. Uh, AT&T arrive and it's going to ruin Warner Brothers. Why? Trying to catch up with Disney? Uh, I feel it's best with everything going on and the bad will... I feel it's best with everything going on and the bad will and the bad will. AT&T should rebrand HBO Max. Warner Brothers Plus is the obvious choice, but I think the best choice. Consumers will know automatically what it is and will eliminate the confusion with HBO, HBO Go, HBO Max. I've talked about that a lot myself, Jesse. Jesse goes on and writes, I feel like at this point, AT&T should take back their plan for 2021. Talk to the creatives on the 17 movies and apologize, but also talk with them and see which ones can still go to HBO Max, like a Tom and Jerry, for example, and still be HBO Max. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Jesse. And you know, what's interesting is... On the, we talked about this on the show the other day. Everybody's very quick. And I'll admit, I kind of was too. Everybody's been very quick to blame AT&T. Uh, Rob got some inside information that this was actually Toby Emmerich who actually got, like the head of Warner Brothers is actually the one, it was his idea to do all this. And he took it to AT&T and they approved it. So that raises a lot of questions, a lot of questions. Because obviously, the entire industry hates Warner Brothers right now. Like, did you see on Saturday Night Live last night, Timothy Chalamet, who stars in their upcoming movie, Dune, uh, during the closing of the show, he was wearing a legendary t-shirt or a legendary sweater. For those of you who don't know, legendary is the company. They were the same company behind movies like The Dark Knight uh, and The Dark Knight Rises and stuff like that. They make a lot of movies. They financed... They partnered with Warner Brothers and legendary finance 75% of the Dune movie. And they finance like 75% of the Godzilla versus Kong movie. And they hate Warner Brothers right now. They're actually thinking about taking Warner Brothers to court over this whole decision to move their movies to HBO Max. And Timothy Chalamet made a very loud statement by being on the closing of Saturday Night Live, having his legendary sweatshirt on. That was saying a lot. Everybody's pissed at Warner Brothers right now. Getting back to the whole branding thing, I agree. I think at the end of the day, calling their new service HBO Max confused audiences. It didn't really communicate what this new service was. Everybody's confused. Like, wait a minute. So now I got HBO, HBO Go, HBO Now, and HBO Max. Like, what's the – they totally should have renamed it with something with Warner Brothers in the title. Absolutely, they should have. Is it too late for that? Probably. Probably. We're, the, the opportunity to that is probably too late. They just got to get things turned around. But we'll see how this all unfolds, Jesse. It's one of the most interesting things going on in the world of entertainment right now. So we'll see how it all kind of unfolds itself. All right. Sebastian Res, Restrepo. Restrepo? I hope I'm saying that right, Sebastian. Writes, hi, John. I'm from Colombia, and I just want to express my happiness by seeing the announcement of the movie Encent 
Encanto. Uh, that's the new Pixar one, I believe. I hope it reflects the beauties of my country and makes you fall in love with it just as I am. Thanks for the show. I am a daily viewer. Well, thank you so much, Sebastian, for watching this show. Listen, if they can do with this, and I'm not even sure about the pronunciation, uh, Encanto or Encanto, I'm going to go with Encanto for now. If they can do with Encanto what they did with, damn it, I'm freezing on the name. Um, hold on a second. Let me bring this up. I'm freezing on the name of the movie, and I loved it. It was, it was the one, Coco. If they can do what they did with Coco. Uh, now, I joke about this all the time, but it's true. I am as, as much an expert on Mexican culture as Taco Bell is an expert on Mexican cuisine. All right? I, know, I don't know much about Mexican culture. I don't. Um, but I felt... As somebody who knows nothing about Mexican culture, I felt watching Coco like I was getting a crash course in fantastic, rich Mexican culture. And that's one of the things I loved about that movie. And maybe Encanto can be that same sort of thing for like the, the culture of Colombia or something like that. I hope it is. I hope it is. Because if it's anywhere near what Coco was, I think that'll be a treasure. So anyway, thanks for reaching out, man. And thank you for uh, for sharing that, dude. I, I appreciate that. All right next up, GQ writes, have you seen the Nobody trailer? Saul Goodman went full John Wick. Yeah, Bob Odenkirk, uh, uh, the guy from Better Call Saul. Of course, he was in Breaking Bad as, as Saul, the same character. He's starring in a new movie that looks very much like John Wick. Now, the reason it looks like John Wick, it's because it's written by the guy who wrote John Wick and is being directed by one of the directors of John Wick. So there's a reason it looks and feels like John Wick. The trailer was great. The trailer was great. I, I, I got to say, I was, and I just enjoyed it more and more as it went on. We'll probably talk about it on the John Campy show tomorrow. We'll probably get around to discussing it a bit tomorrow because with all the things that went on, you know, in the latter half of this past week, we just didn't have time to get around to that, but we will probably talk about, but I did watch it and I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. All right. Orange hand writes, you spoke before about how lighting is such a key aspect when doing compositing. Absolutely. I've seen plenty of films and shows with outdoor scenes that I knew were fake because of the lighting. Uh, do you know why natural light is so hard to fake? I listen, here's, here's the real truth. Orange hand. I think for every one time that you believe you were able to pick out fake stuff. And by the way, probably some of the times you thought it was fake, it probably wasn't. But for every time you think you picked out something that was fake with the lighting of the natural light, there are probably 20 other times you saw something that was fake and you didn't even realize it. That's how good they've gotten with that. But it is tricky really getting proper natural light. Like when you do a CGI scene inside of a house, there's something inherently easier about nailing the lighting of that as opposed to a shot outside. And I think part of the reason of that is, and I'm just speculating here, is that we have a really solid point of reference about what light is outside and how light functions outside. It's much like the uncanny valley with human beings, right? We are most familiar with the human form. And so when they still, they still can't completely nail human face gestures and everything. They still, we call that the uncanny valley. And I think a little bit of that might have to do with outdoor door lighting. But again, I would probably argue that every time you think you, you caught one, there's probably 20 others you didn't catch. 
And I think they've gotten very, very good. Their, their particle lighting has gotten so far advanced. It is still very tricky. And you're right. From time to time, you can still pick out kind of when it when uh, they're doing it. But I think there's a lot more times that we as an audience don't even realize that we're looking at an artificially CGI lit environment. I, I bet you money that there's more times than not that we don't even realize that's how good they've gotten at it. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Orange Hand. Sam Fisher writes, I think not recasting is a mistake. That's obviously talking about, you know, at Disney's uh, announcement events, uh, Paul uh, or Kevin Feige, I should say, announced that they will not be recasting the role of T'Challa, which I think is a mistake. I think it's a it's a I think it's definitely a mistake. Anyway, I think not recasting is a mistake. If not recasting, at least create a character that fills the same role, like a brother who was off at Oxford or elsewhere uh, during the rest of the MCU. Uh, okay, not that exactly, but something like it. Yes, yeah, see, I, here's the thing to me. Nobody cares about Black Panther. Black Panther didn't cause, it didn't become this incredibly important uh, subject for a lot of a lot of the cultures that we live in it wasn't black panther it was the character t'challa yeah he bore the title black panther but black panther didn't move the world the character of t'challa did as performed by chadwick boseman but listen chadwick boseman did not create the black panther character you know, Stan Lee created the Black Panther character. And then a lot of comic book artists and writers over the years gave some flesh to it. And then when it came to the movie, a screenwriter wrote that character and wrote all the lines that Chadwick Boseman then recited. And a director, a tremendously gifted director, uh, Ryan Coogler, is the one who directed him in doing it and directed all the things that happened around the character. There was a lot. It was an amazingly large team effort. Right from the creation of the character in Stan Lee, all the way down to finally the actor that was selected to then be the character on screen in Chadwick Boseman. And all together, including Chadwick Boseman, delivered a character that had a profound cultural impact. I think now throwing that character away is a mistake. Look, Stan Lee, the creator of the character, died. Do we consider it disrespectful to carry on with Spider-Man movies? No. When Stan Lee died, did we consider it disrespectful to carry on with Avengers? No. Is anybody consider it disrespectful that we continue to do Black Panther when Stan Lee, the guy who created the character, has passed away? No. We seem to have a sane reasonable understanding that this was his legacy. Stanley wouldn't want us to stop suddenly stop making Marvel movies. Keep building, stand on his shoulders and keep building the legacy. Keep it going. Pick up the baton, pick up the baton and carry on and keep going. If Kevin Feige tragically died tomorrow in a bus accident. Do you think they would stop making MCU movies? Of course not. Is there anybody more responsible for the success of the MCU movies today than Kevin Feige? No. But would they stop making MCU movies if Kevin Feige died tomorrow? No. They would carry on because it's what Kevin Feige would want. It's how you honor Kevin Feige if he were to die in a horrible, weird bus accident tomorrow. God forbid. 
It's how you honor him. You keep you keep building on his legacy. You continue the work. He didn't bust his ass and all that kind of stuff so that if he just happens to get caught in, in a, some tragic bus accident, that all of a sudden all the work he, he put into it was suddenly now just stopped. You carry it on. Uh, and, and this is the other thing that has always confused me. And I brought this up a, a couple of weeks ago when talking about this subject. But, you know, let's say you take a guy with a great profession, a, a guy who drives a bus, take getting people around in the city, right? Honorable profession. I don't know why I'm fixated on buses today. Kevin Feige getting hit by a bus, a bus driver, whatever. But let's stick with buses for now. If a bus driver who drives the main street route in your city, you know, tragically passes away tomorrow. Do they stop having a main street bus route in your city? No, they carry on. They carry on. They honor what that guy had done for the city and for that route and the people that he transported every day. And you carry on another driver. Then the next man up, as they say in football, you know, they carry it on. Would anybody say it's disrespectful for that for the city not to cancel that bus line? No, nobody would say that. So I I have to admit I am a little bit of a, at a loss about why anybody thinks why anybody thinks that Chadwick Boseman, who was fabulous, absolutely fabulous. And by the way, Black Panther wasn't even his best performance. His best performance, I will still stand today. He should have gotten an Academy Award nomination for it was playing James Brown and Get On Up. If you have not seen Chadwick Boseman play James Brown and Get On Up, something he should have gotten an Academy Award nomination for, maybe he did. I should look that up. But at any rate, you got to treat yourself and go see his performance in that. Chadwick Boseman was tremendous, but he didn't write the lines that came out of T'Challa's mouth. He didn't create the movie that he got to star in. He didn't dictate the actions that would take place. That was the director. That was Ryan Coogler. And he didn't create the character of Black Panther. That was... That was um, Stan Lee, but he played the very important role of being the physical manifestation of the character on screen and did a tremendous job for it. Such a good job that it helped that character become a cultural inspiration for millions of people around the world. But for some reason, we think the way to honor that and a way to celebrate this character being so symbolically important to millions of people around the world is, oh, let's not do that character anymore. Let's just let the character die. Let's just move on. You think they'd do that with Batman? Do you think they would do that with Batman? Do you think they would do that with Superman? Do you think if Gal Gadot died tomorrow in a tragic bus accident? Again, I'm putting all the blame on buses. I don't know why. But if Gal Gadot tragically passed away in a, in a bus accident tomorrow, that Warner Brothers wouldn't do Wonder Woman anymore? Of course they would. You pick up on the legacy and you carry on. And that's, by the way, how you honor the people who came before. And that's my feeling. Now, listen, I am not upset um, at the decision. I, I believe it's the wrong choice to not recast it and to not carry on and not have somebody come and pick up the baton for Chadwick Boseman and carry on the race for him. I think it's the wrong decision. But I'm not upset at Disney for it because I know – and, and I said this months ago as we were kind of pondering what will Disney do? Will they recast the role? Will they not? And I, and I said months ago, and I still stand by it, that I just trust that whatever uh, Kevin Feige and Marvel and Disney decide, it will come from a place of wanting to honor Chadwick Boseman. And they may choose to do that in the way that I think is the right way to do it in recasting. 
or they may choose to do it in the way that I don't think is the right way to do it, not recasting. But either way, I know that it's going to come from a place of wanting to honor Chadwick Boseman. And at the end of the day, I think that's what they did. They, their motivation was wanting to honor Chadwick Boseman. I think if that's your motivation, you come to a different conclusion, but this is the conclusion that came with, and I do not doubt their motives. So I'm not upset by it. And I trust in Kevin Feige. I trust in Marvel. I think they're going to do a good job and, uh, and they'll move forward. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think it was a mistake, but they will move on. They will make something great out of this and, uh, and we will continue to go on and we'll continue to move on again. I, I just, I just think it would have been great to, for somebody to say, we're going to not let, just because Chadwick fell, we're not going to let the baton fall. We're going to pick that up just because Chadwick can't pick it up himself right now. We got to let the spirit of Chadwick Boseman know, don't worry. Don't worry, man. We got your back. We'll pick up the baton for you. If you can't carry it, we'll carry it for you. You rest easy knowing that we've picked it up for you and we will carry on for you. They don't look at it that way. Maybe, and maybe that's an overly romantic way. This is the same kind of way I felt about it with Carrie Fisher when she passed away. But everybody's got their own different opinion about it. As long as it comes from a, that good place, that good motivation, which I think Disney's was, then I can live with it. But anyway, that's just me. Sorry, I spent a lot of time on that, but it's a very big issue to me. It's I, I don't know why it's such a big issue to me, but it is. I just love what Chadwick Boseman did. I think it's a total shame to now let that character die after all the work that he and so many other people did to bring T'Challa to life. Now we let T'Challa die. And I don't know. It, it just it doesn't feel right. That's all. It doesn't feel right to me. All right. Preston the Kryptonian writes, I think Ben Rayner was talking about the backdrop of Disney Plus when he said so much blue yesterday. Pixar, Star Wars, Pixar also had blue backdrops. Uh, yeah, there was a Disney Plus, Pixar, Star. There was a lot of blue on the stage. Make no mistake. There was an awful lot of blue on that stage, Preston. I guess, I guess that is kind of Disney's official color, Disney Plus's official color. Because when I turn on my Disney Plus app on my TV, that's the first thing you get, a big screen of blue, man, big screen of blue. All right, Brian M. writes, assuming the Lando show is Donald Glover, what do you think are the chances that Alden Ehrenreich or Amelia Clark show up in it? I think fairly good. Small roles, probably like one episode appearances, like kind of like what they do in Mandalorian where like Katie Sackhoff will show up as Bo-Katan once. Maybe she'll show up again another time. But uh, I think I think there's a very solid chance. I give it a 50% chance that we see Alden Ehrenreich pop up as Han Solo at some point. But I don't foresee him being a regular on the show. You know, it's not going to be the Lando with his sidekick Han show. I think Han will probably pop up. I think Alden will probably pop up. And by the way, I thought Alden did a great job playing Han Solo. It's just that he wasn't Harrison Ford. Uh, but I think there's a pretty good chance. All right, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John, been watching for years. Thank you so much, Anonymous. Uh, thank you for doing a podcast version this year. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, we did start doing uh, in 2020. We started putting up the John Campus show in podcast form as well. Um, and we have an exclusive on there as well. We do some things on the podcast feed that we don't even do on the YouTube channel. Uh, so make sure you go and subscribe to the John Campus show on your podcasting app of choice. So, you know, when you come across one of those times, whether you're driving or you're at work or something, or you're on a walk and you can't watch a YouTube YouTube channel, you still want to listen to the show, you've got the podcast version there. So anyway, thanks for bringing that up, Anonymous. Uh, thank you for doing a podcast version this year. It has been my saving grace during these crazy times. Question, over under 50% that She-Hulk is Spider-Man's lawyer in Spider-Man 3, love your show. Well, first of all, let's be clear about this. 
Nobody has ever said Spider-Man has a lawyer in Spider-Man 3, right? I'm not saying he won't. Don't misquote me. I'm not saying he won't. I'm just putting it out there that it's never been officially said that Spider-Man needs a lawyer in Spider-Man 3. Just saying. However, let's assume for a second that he does. I think it's an over 50% chance. I'd say 60% chance that she ends up. I mean, it just makes sense. It just fits. It just makes sense. Now, there are a lot of people thinking that Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock might be that lawyer. And maybe there's still there's no credible information that says that's actually happening. There's a rumor going around. So let's keep our eyes on it. Maybe it'll flesh out to be something. Maybe it won't. But uh, I think I wouldn't say it's 100 percent that She-Hulk is going to be his lawyer if he needs one. But I would give it 55 to 60 percent chance that it would be. So certainly chances for something else. But I would give it a pretty good shot there, Anonymous. All right. Ahmed Z writes. Hi. Hi, Ahmed. Disappointed that no Black Widow on Disney Plus. I'm thrilled. Uh, I don't want to wait for uh, for a premium video on demand after theatrical window, but don't feel comfortable going to the theaters here in Jeddah either. So annoyed as hell. Uh, also, Ahsoka is only one season. Uh, that's also super annoying. Sorry. Well, listen, first of all, the Black Widow thing, what is the problem with waiting a bit? I've never understood that. I've never understood why Why is it such a big deal that one might have to wait a little bit? I, I, I really don't understand the big deal. I, I just, I don't. Anyway, that being said, um, with theaters, yeah, listen, it's not coming out until May, right? I was just watching the news this morning and the first shipments, well, first of all, in the UK, they've already started administering the vaccine. In the United States, they literally just shipped the first uh, the first shipments today of the vaccine, and they're saying they're the uh, the first rounds of people getting the vaccination are going to start happening on Monday and Tuesday. So we're in December, so January, February, March, April, May. By the time May comes around, by the time Black Widow comes out, we will be five months, almost half a year, into people getting vaccines. the The good thing about vaccines is that there is an exponential effect with vaccines because once they give somebody a vaccine, not only is that now a person that won't get COVID, more importantly, that becomes a person who will not become a transmitter of COVID. So once you eliminate, let's just say 20 million, which is what they're saying is going to be the initial round of vaccinations in the United States, Once you get just 20 million vaccinations out there, that will have a much bigger impact than just the 20 million. Because not only is that 20 million people not going to get COVID, it's that's now a whole batch of 20 million people that could have been COVID transmitters that will now not be transmitters. And it has a cascading effect. That doesn't mean all they have to do is, you know, vaccinate 20 million people. But I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is that by May, we may all feel a lot better about going back to the movie theaters come May. Because again, like I said, that's still five months away. So hang in there, buddy. Hang in there. We'll see how this all uh, transpires. Oh, maybe it'll still be horrible in May. Who knows? But think positive thoughts. With everything rolling out right now, I think there is a good chance, not not a definite thing, but a good chance that by May, we're going to be in a very, a much better place come May than we are right now. Maybe it's not going to be perfect. But I think we're going to be in a better place than we are right now. Maybe I'm just being overly optimistic like I was at the beginning of the pandemic. Who knows? All right. Casey McNatt writes, uh, hey, John. Hey, Casey. I am shocked 
at all they announced at the Disney investor meeting on Thursday. Me too. Dude, listen, I knew they would announce some big things. I, I never would have guessed they were going to announce all of that. Like that was crazy. Um, just didn't expect them to announce that much. People are upset about no Spider-Man news, but from what I remember, Disney usually lets Sony announce Spider-Man news. Yeah. Listen, I, I wouldn't have been, I, I kind of go both ways on this, right? I would not have been surprised if they did not, or if they did announce some Spider-Man information, I wouldn't have been surprised if they did, but I'm also not surprised that they didn't. And once again, it is a Sony thing that is a Sony character. It's in the MCU and Marvel's the production company on, but Sony owns that character right now, license wise, and they are the distributor. They're in charge of what happens to Spider-Man. So again, wouldn't have been surprised if they did announce it and gave some news about it, but I'm completely not surprised that they didn't. And Sony probably wants to being the distributor of the, of the movie. Sony probably wants to be the one to make any announcements about it. And that is traditional, actually. It is the distributors of the movie that generally take care of all the PR and marketing and buzz and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, again, wouldn't have been surprised if they did, but I'm not surprised that they didn't, Casey. So I'm with you on that. All right, next up. Mysterious Gremlin writes, Hey, John, with them not putting Black Widow on Disney+, Plus, do you think that they can still delay Falcon and Winter Soldier again? I just figured they need... Uh, they need Black Widow to come out before that uh, show gets released because uh, a minor character in it. Well, listen, if I'm not mistaken, hold, let me just pull this up so I'm sure. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier release date. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, it's coming out in August of 2020. So they don't need to delay it, right? They, they have now scheduled Falcon and Winter Soldier to come out August of 2020. Several months before that, in May is when Black Widow is supposed to come out. So they now have finalized it. Black Widow in May, Falcon and Winter Soldier in August. So they've needed Black Widow to come out before Falcon and Winter Soldier, right? They needed that. And now they've got it arranged. So everything seems to be set and in place, Mysterious Gremlin. And I'm sure we'll find out pretty quickly about why it needed to come out in that order. Obviously, they're tied in together. And obviously, Pew is... Um, I mean, she's uh, obviously, you know, she plays Black Widow's sister in the movie. They've already said she's going to appear in Falcon and Winter Soldier. So obviously one had to come after the, the other. And it seems now they've got it locked in place. And hopefully I don't think they're going to have to move it again. I think now everything is locked and in place. And I think everything's going to play out the way it should. But I still won't put it by Disney, Disney to pull Black Widow from the theatrical release and just put it straight onto Disney+. Plus. I don't think they will. I'm just saying I'll believe it when I see it. All right, next up. The Wakandan Forever writes, uh, Iwaju, a comic book series set in fantasy African country with futuristic technology. Sounds strangely familiar to me for some odd reason. John, am I crazy? Wakanda Forever. No, listen, when I was doing the live stream, uh, the live watch along of the Disney event, when they announced Iwaju I, and they showed the, the concept art, I said, doesn't that feel a little like Wakanda? <laughs> a little bit? So maybe that was part of the inspiration. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's going to be like, maybe once we actually see it fleshed out, it'll be totally different, which I wouldn't be surprised if it is. But yeah, I admit when I first saw it, I thought that feels a little bit like Wakanda, but that's perfectly fine. Whatever. Uh, we just talked about the Bob Odenkirk movie. That's completely feels like John Wick. So why not? All right. Sam Fisher writes, okay, I have to know where did 
Boba, get that snazzy new armor. It's not. It's just a paint job, man. It's just a paint job. Did they just clean it or metal down the Beskar and reforge it? And if they melted it down, where did uh, Din get rid of the Beskar spear he got in episode five? No, no I, he still has the spear. Don't forget, he still has the spear. Uh, that's important. That's going to come into play when it has to fight the Darksaber. But uh, yeah, they just painted it up. No big deal. When Ann and I were doing our um, live uh, all spoiler discussion of Mandalorian the other day, I did ask the question. So like what does Boba just kind of carry around extra paint, you know, just in case I need to paint up the old Beskar armor? I mean, I don't know, but whatever. It looked good to me. I thought it looked good. Remember to Boba Fett, that's his father's armor. He's going to want to take care of it. He's going to want to look right. So I have no problem with that. I know there are a bunch of people who ordered the uh, the beat up armor Boba Fett figures, and now they're a little bit upset because now it looks different. But to me, narratively, it made sense. Makes sense to me, Sam. All right, next up, Slim Kim writes: DC fans, Marvel haters, Marvel's dead after Endgame. Uh, Marvel's dead after Endgame. DC is taking over. Kevin Feige, hold my beer. Yeah, but listen, to be honest with you, Slim Kim, look. There are the sane people who are, I mean, you don't have to be a comic book fan, but if you're in the comic book movie circles, there are the sane people, the rational people who are just like, we just love good comic book movies. We don't care who the, which corporate label is on. I don't care if it's a DC label or Marvel label on it. I just want good movies. And other than Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey movie, other than that one, I've liked and been at least entertained by every DC film that's come out. And I'm obviously a big fan of the Marvel stuff as well that we've had. But then you've got these two extremes, the, the, the blind corporate Marvel zombie slaves and the blind corporate DC slaves that are just totally, they've given up their free will and they, they just live their lives in complete obedience to their corporate masters, whether that corporate master is DC or whether that corporate master is Marvel. And in both of those extremes, we've seen this happen all the time. A big DC trailer drops. Oh, R.I.P. Marvel. <laughs> like we've seen that how many times? R.I.P. Marvel. How's that turned out? Marvel's still doing pretty good, isn't it? Or then Marvel does some kind of event, whether it was the phase three event or whether it was this new announcement. And then you get the corporate slaves on that side going, oh, R.I.P. DC. What's it like being in DC's hole? <laughs> right? I mean, both sides have done it. Both sides have done it. And unfortunately, until they all die off, they will continue to do it. Meanwhile, those of us who just appreciate good comic book movies will still be in the middle looking at both of them like they're idiots and they are idiots. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it goes both ways, Slim. It really does. It really has gone both ways. All right, Slim Kim also writes, Star Wars fans are such hypocrites. Some are, not many. Uh, they always blame Kathleen Kennedy and Disney when it comes to what they don't like. Uh, the Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker. But when it comes to what they do like Mandalorian, they forget to tag their names. Keep up the same energy, guys. No, that's true. Like, there are... That is when you get into the people who have agendas, right? Is when they will start applying different sets of criteria to fit their predetermined agenda. Like if you want to hold Kathleen Kennedy responsible for what happened with rise of Skywalker, that's fair. And that's fine. I do. I mean, she's not the only person responsible for the rise of Skywalker being as bad as it is, but at the end of the day, 
She's the person in charge of Lucasfilm. Now, I won't talk about the other ones because I happen to like uh, Last Jedi and I, I love The Force Awakens and I love Rogue One and I liked the solo movie. But let's talk about the one that I agree with a bunch of people on that Rise of Skywalker. Okay, so for me, Rise of Skywalker stunk. And it is fair to hold Kathleen Kennedy responsible for that because at the end of the day, she is in charge. It's on her watch. It was because they laid out a new trilogy of films and she didn't think that it was important to plan out and map out exactly how this new trilogy is going to go before they started shooting it and say, ah, we'll just play it film, film to film. We'll just, we'll just go by ear. And if you saw my like 20 minute editorial that I put up on Rise of Skywalker and what went wrong with it, it all comes down to they had no plan. And that's what, that was the root problem of everything that went wrong with the Rise of Skywalker was the fact that from the beginning, they did not have a plan. And at the end of the day, that is Kathleen Kennedy's responsibility. When things don't work out on the initial shoot for Solo, I've had people say to me, well, then, you know, that was Lord Miller's fault. And yes, Lord Miller do carry a degree of responsibility for that. They agreed to make one kind of movie and then they turned around and started to make something else. I, I get that. I do. But at the end of the day, Kathleen Kennedy should have properly worked with them, vetted them and understood exactly what they would have done. And ultimately, she's the one who hired them. And so when things go south, I'm not saying there's not responsibility to spread around, but when things go south, you are the person in the chair. You're the person in charge. You're the boss. You're the one who hired them in the first place. When things went south with Josh Trank's Boba Fett movie, you can blame Josh Trank for this, that, and the other. It doesn't matter. You are the person in the chair. When you had, what was it, Jay Bayona, who was going to do uh, the third Star Wars movie, and then it falls apart, creative differences. That's your responsibility. You should have figured that out before you hired them. And when things go wrong with the rise of Skywalker, yes, there's other people to blame as well. But at the other day, at the end of the day, you are the person in charge. The problem becomes that people who don't like Kathy Kennedy are all enthusiastic to agree with that. Yeah, yeah, she's the one in charge and things go wrong. It's her fault. They're all excited to embrace that because it's the truth. But they want to forget that when things go well, when things work, they want to discount the fact that she was the one in charge and is ultimately the one responsible. Listen, Kathy Kennedy and John Favreau has talked about this, by the way, he talked about this at D23. Kathy Kennedy has hundreds of pitches coming at her about what to greenlight, what to do, and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of them with some big-time filmmakers and big, famous names. John Favreau came to her with this idea for Mandalorian. And she recognized, as the person in charge, she recognized, this works. This can work really well. And then, by the way, John Favreau himself was the one who revealed that when Kathy Kennedy realized that this was a good idea, she also thought this type of mytho mythology, she goes, okay, Favreau, I want you to do this and I want you to work with Dave Filoni. I think Dave Filoni would be a great match for what it is you're trying to do here. And this is Favreau who told this story. So it was Kathy Kennedy who actually matched up and Favreau said, but little did Kathy know, I had actually already met Dave Filoni a couple of years earlier in this thing and I thought he was so cool, which is great. But so it was Kathy Kennedy 
who orchestra who number one recognized the potential of Mandalorian when she gets hundreds of scripts on her on her table, hundreds of pitches. She recognized Mandalorian was an idea that could work and what potential it had. And she recognized, I think Dave Filoni would, is somebody that should be working on this too. I think what he brings to the table would be a great fit for this. And Favreau agreed. So Filoni started working for Favreau on that. Favreau was the ultimate showrunner. But, you know, having Dave Filoni in there is part of the reason Mandalorian works. But people who have this anti-Kathy Kennedy agenda don't want to acknowledge that. That whole, they're more than willing to embrace the, she's the one in charge, she's the one responsible when things don't go well. But as soon as something does go well, they want to try to figure out a way that she doesn't get any of the credit. That's not how it works. It goes both ways. So somebody like me, who I've been very critical, listen, I think Kathy Kennedy is one of the greatest producers in the history of Hollywood. Steven Spielberg says that. And I think he's right. She is what her resume is impeccable. She is one of the greatest producers in the history of Hollywood. But, and I'm a fan of hers on that level. And I loved when she was announced as being the head of Lucasfilm. But you guys know for, for a number of years, I've been very critical of her ability to actually be the head of a company. And I've already given the laundry list many times over the years about the, the issues that I have. And I think she needs to move on. And while I hold her responsible for the rise of Skywalker and, and the, the things with all the directors and the lack of a plan, you also have to give credit where it's due. Because if Kathy Kennedy was not the head of Lucasfilm, Mandalorian may never have gotten made. That's just the truth. That's the cold, hard fact. If it was not her in that chair and the pitch for Mandalorian came across another person's desk, they may never have greenlit it. That's just the truth. So... Yeah, I believe Kathy Kennedy needs to take a lot of the blame when things go wrong. And I think she needs to, uh, to be given the credit when things go right. And I think you have to have either a pro or a negative Kathy Kennedy agenda to acknowledge one side of it while pretending that the opposite side doesn't exist. Anyway, that's just kind of my take on it. Uh, all right. Uh, Sarah, the supernova writes. Uh, hey, John, thanks for broadcasting the Disney Investors Day with us. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad we did that. Uh, it was fantastic with amazing updates. We were cheering all night in the UK with my sisters commenting. Uh, Isn't that John guy you watch every evening? Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, we disagree on this and that's okay, but I'm happy they won't recast T'Challa. By the way, I watched your movie in the first weekend, which just brought back our love for documentaries. Movie trailers, a love story. Head on over to Amazon Prime or video. Vimeo today. Well, thank you so much for that. Sir. And like, listen, you're not the only one who disagrees with me on the T'Challa thing. Um, I think there, there are a lot of people who agree with me and there are a lot of people who disagree with me. And that's, you know, that's perfectly good. And again, I think as long as we all recognize that, you know, Disney making whichever decision they made to recast or not to recast, they're going to do it with the right intentions and the right motivations. And I may not agree with what their final decision was, but I know they have the right intentions. And I think at the end of the day, as long as everybody recognizes that, I think we're good. And listen, thank you so much for checking out my documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to plug it again. So thank you for that, Sarah. I appreciate that a lot. All right, next up. 
Scott K writes, super excited for the new Star Wars content, but I did chuckle a little when they said something like, with over 25,000 years of Star Wars history, there are so many stories to tell. Then almost everything is set within decades of one another. Oh, dude, listen, that has been one of my big complaints about Star Wars for years, you know, is that why does everything have to be things we already know? There is a vast universe spanning centuries and centuries of time. Let's tell some new stories, but I'll tell you what this act they've got some new things coming. This high Republic era thing sounds interesting. The acolyte, which they announced is one of the most exciting things. I think to me in the world of star Wars stuff, that was actually the most exciting thing to me hearing about the acolyte. And it's going to focus on dark side, maybe Sith. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe it's going to be focused on a Sith apprentice or something like that, which is totally cool. Or some kind of dark side user, something Star Wars has never focused on before. Uh, but it's, and it's in a completely different time period in the waning days of the high Republic, which is great. So I think when, here's how I took it, Scott, when they said with over 25,000 years of history to cover, I think that was Kathy Kennedy saying, we're going to start finally expanding the Star Wars lore. I think by saying that one line, that was her saying, we are going to start exploring different time periods to tell these incredible galactic stories of Star Wars on a scale that we have not done before or have not done up until this point. So I think that's exciting and uh, I'm going to take it as good news, but you're right. I, I kind of chuckled a little bit too when they said that, Scott. All right. Just time for a couple of more here, guys. Uh, Runaway Pony writes, even though I will be uh, vaxxed uh, before most people vaccination, I won't be ready to go to a theater in May. I suspect there are many who feel the same. Do you think it was the right call by Disney to keep Black Widow in the theaters and do uh, and what do you think made them decide that? I do think it was the right decision. Absolutely. I'm surprised they did it. I did not think they would do that. I mean, I, I said repeatedly before that event that I expected. I did not know. Remember, I said there's a difference between what you believe and what you know. I don't know what they're going to do with Black Widow, but I believe they're going to announce that it's going straight to Disney Plus, and they didn't. So I was totally caught by surprise with that, but I but pleasantly surprised. It is absolutely the right move. It is absolutely the right move. And I think what made them decide that is what I have been saying all along. I get wanting to move everything to streaming, but you can have your cake and eat it too if you're Disney. You can put some of these big movies out in theaters, make billions of dollars on them in theaters, and then put them on Disney Plus and reap all the benefits from them on Disney Plus. You can, it doesn't have to be either or. It can be, in fact, both and. It's not either or. It's both and. So I'm hoping that's the case. Um, and may I think it's enough time. And listen, if you're vaccinated, I don't understand why you wouldn't go to the theater. I mean, you're not in danger of getting it and you're not in danger of spreading it. So I don't know why you would be uneasy about that. But at any rate, I think, May, the world is going to look different. I don't think we'll be all the way there yet, but I think the world is going to look different and we'll be well on our way to getting things back to normal. But then again, as I acknowledge, maybe I'm just being overly optimistic like I was at the beginning of the pandemic when I thought, yeah, by July, everything will be fine and everything just keep getting worse. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. But that's what I think was behind it. Uh, that's what I ultimately... Pardon me. I think they know they can put Black Widow in theaters, 
make 500 million in profit, pure profit, make $500 million in pure profit, and then put it on Disney Plus and still reap all the benefits of, of it being on Disney Plus. That's what I think their motivation is, and I think it's the right move. Whether or not it actually is the right move, we'll find out soon enough, but I, I think it is the right move. All right. Nicholas writes, I'm fighting off a sneeze. I might sneeze at any time, but I'm battling and I'm battling back the sneeze right now. Uh, Nicholas writes, hello from Romania. Hello, Nicholas from Romania. So uh, on the on the Walt Disney website, the Disney Plus will expand into South Korea, Hong Kong, Japan and Eastern Europe later in 2021. Great. Yeah, I, we've been talking on the show recently about when is Disney Plus going to start expanding? Well, during this announcement. Uh, event, they did announce that they are continuing their rollout across the world. More markets and more territories are coming, and it won't be too awful long before whatever country you live in, if you don't have it already, and lots of countries do have it already, but you'll be getting it too soon. So that was one of the best things, even though we, we've been talking about the flashy stuff, right? Star Wars and Marvel and Shogun and Aliens. And yeah, we've been talking about that, but maybe that was one of the more important things was announcing their future rolling out of Disney Plus and how uh, the rollout. It, <coughs> told, uh, uh, <coughs> told you I was fighting off a sneeze. I felt it coming on like for the last five minutes. Anyway, that might be the most important thing they announced, Nicholas. Okay, next up. The Great Bondi writes, excited to see Hayden back. I think a lot of the people are excited to see Hayden Christensen back. Good Canadian kid, by the way. Uh, but I don't expect him a lot as Vader. More than flashbacks, I expect a tormented Obi-Wan uh, reviving on nightmares or reviving on nightmares over and over all the final moments with his apprentice and trying to make peace with that. He failed as a master. It's going to be interesting to see how big or small of a role Anakin, aka Vader, is actually going to play in this series. I look, look, there's still, there is a part of it that still bothers me a little bit. Which is Vader being involved in the Obi-Wan series clearly violates the implied message of canon from the original Star Wars movie. The clear implication – now, if you want to play semantics, you can dance around it. But when you go back and watch the original Star Wars movie, the clearly implied message is the last time Vader and Obi-Wan saw each other was their battle at Mustafar. That was the clearly implied message. And when they did the prequels, they enforced that, that implication, that this was the last time they saw each other. And so when we get to Star Wars A New Hope and they like, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the presence I haven't felt since and surely he's dead by now. The, the force is strong with blah, blah, blah. The clearly implied message was when they battled at Mustafar, that was the last time they saw each other. And again, you can play semantics. Well, technically, he didn't actually say that was the last. Uh, yeah, you can play semantics if you want. But clearly, the implied message was one thing. And them having Anakin in this Obi-Wan series breaks that canon. And that's okay. You know, I, for a long time, I've been a very, very hard stickler about honoring canon. Not in everything, but in Star Wars, canon should be honored. But for the last number of years, Lucasfilm has been breaking canon left, right, and center. Like, I remember when Lucasfilm took over Star Wars, and they made this big, bold claim. Now, everything is going to be canon. Whether it's a novel or a comic book or whatever, 
everything that happens in a Star Wars story from here on out is canon. And I remember saying years ago when they first announced that, I remember saying, I'll believe that when I see it. And sure enough, now we get cracks in it and they've broken canon several times. And what was it? Was it um, I think it might have been Pablo Hidalgo, who's great, who's great. But I think it was Pablo Hidalgo who once talked about like the differences in the books and the movies like, well, the books are canon when they line up with the movies. They're not canon when they don't line up with the movies. It's like, that's not what canon is. <laughs> Either canon is canon. A girl is not sort of pregnant. No, no, no. The girl's pregnant or she's not. You know, that's and they, they've been they've kind of given up on canon. So, look, at the end of the day, the announcement of the good Canadian kid Hayden Christensen coming back as Anakin made a lot of fans happy, made a lot of fans happy. And so what's more important that they ardently stick to canon you know, with, with a religious zealousness that they stick to canon, which is what I kind of would like them to do. But what's more important, that or millions and millions of fans around the world being made really happy? I'd like to think you could do both. But in a situation like this, even I, who am a real stickler for canon, go, look, they made this announcement and it made millions of people really happy. And at the end of the day, isn't that what it's about? And that that sends a little bit of a chill up my spine because I am such a canon stickler. But it, but it's true. At the end of the day, making fans happy is really what this whole thing is about. And if it made tons of fans happy, whatever, go for it. It's not like you haven't been breaking canon already. So now as well continue, just keep going. All right. The Wakandan Forever writes. Disney Plus announcements, uh, one, Black Panther, Black Panther 2, 2, Falcon and Winter Soldier, 3, What If, uh, 4, Lightyear, Lightyear was a great announcement, by the way, the Buzz Lightyear spinoff of Toy Story, 5, Obi-Wan, 6, Mrs., uh, Miss Marvel, number 7, Soul, number 8, Ryan, The Last Dragon, number 9, Mighty Ducks, number 10, Cruella, uh, Disney went from one hit Mandalorian show to pulling my childhood toy, toy box on screen, wild, yeah, listen, that's one of the things that I had to say, listen, my big criticism about Disney Plus, for the last year has been, hey, guys, um, you've given us two pieces of premium original content in a year. Now, this is prior to Mandalorian season two starting. You gave us one season of Mandalorian and then you dropped Hamilton. Great. And Hamilton is great, but I'm just saying that's it. Other than that, it's been all this lower budget filler content. Some of it pretty good, some of it not, but you've only given us two pieces of premium content in a year. That's been my big complaint. And listen, I got Disney Plus. I like Disney Plus, but I'm just saying that has been my one complaint. Well, that's gone, <laughs> right? That is gone. Over the next couple of years, 10 Star Wars series, 10 Marvel series, um, Pixar stuff, Disney proper uh, live action stuff, although the Disney proper live action stuff did not look all that good, but w whatever, that is no longer going to be a problem. Again, like I said near the beginning of the show, though, uh, Wakandan, the question now becomes, is this stuff going to be good content? Will it be Mandalorian or will it be Noel? And that's what we'll find out. But I got to tell you, I mean, I can't accuse them of not coming out with some big premium original content anymore. All right, next up. Mr. Steele, and we'll wrap up on this one, guys. Mr. Steele writes, 
One of two. My God, John, so much to uncover. No kidding, man. Uh, first, I want to say thanks for the last few shows. You had me laughing so hard, especially the boo-hoo part of Adam Aaron uh, a few days ago. I just want to say thanks to you and this community. It's a great place to hang out. Well, thank you for being a part of it, Mr. Steele. Uh, you think when Disney still mention theatrical dates that they know something we don't like maybe them buying or making a theater chain business wise i can see the execs at other streaming services pan, uh, uh pacing back and forth right now in their halls and shogun shogun's the biggest announcement to me um listen the biggest threat to the movie theater industry is not that the current theater chains go out of business like, we'll talk about this on the John Campus show tomorrow, but, you know, it's been announced. AMC has said that they expect they may run out of money by January, by mid-January. AMC could run out of money. The biggest movie theater chain in the world could run out of money by mid-January. But AMC going out of business isn't the biggest threat to the theatrical industry. Because another company can just come in and start up. That's how the market works. The biggest threat to the theatrical industry is more of a systemic one in the sense that the biggest threat is what if there's no big movies playing in theaters? Like, and especially what if there's no big movies playing in theaters exclusively? That's the big threat to the movie theater industry. Theater chains can come and go. As long as there are studios putting out big, high-profile movies that people want to go to the movie theaters to see and there's a theatrical exclusive window, as long as that's there, then other, movie, then other new movie theater companies can sprout up and take over the leases of old AMC buildings, whatever, and that can all happen. My biggest pessimism, therefore, about the long-term survival prospects of the movie theater industry has not been that AMC may not make it or Regal may not make it. It's been the fact that it looks like studios aren't going to put their movies out in theaters anymore. And that's the problem. Because if there's no new movies coming to theaters, no new movie theater companies could take AMC's place or anybody else's place. But, but there may be some light at the end of the tunnel here. Maybe. Maybe. If Disney actually does stick to all these movies that they just announced are going to be theatrically released in a traditional theatrical environment, Raya and the Last Dragon is the only movie that they announced that will be in theaters and on Disney Plus as a premium release on the same day. All the other ones, talking about on the theatrical side, all the other ones theatrically are going to be a traditional theatrical release. If Disney sticks to that, and if the lawsuit coming from Legendary and the pressure coming from the Directors Guild and the pressure coming from the Screen Actors Guild and the pressure coming from the Writers Guild and the pressure coming from everybody else causes Warner Brothers to change direction and not just release all their movies in 2021 on HBO Max, which has pissed off everybody in the industry, there might be a chance. I'm not saying it will, but I mean, there might be a chance. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed, Mr. Steele. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. Maybe Disney just saved the movie theater industry. I, I'm not. I, it's way too early to actually proclaim that that's the case. But maybe there's a chance. Don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Okay, guys. 
That'll do it for this installment of the companion videos. Now, there are still questions to come, but those are all questions that came in after Friday's show. So they're meant for Monday's John Campion show. But I believe we're now all caught up uh, on all the questions that were outstanding. Guys, thank you to all of you who sent in those questions, not just because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but also because you supported this channel while you did it. And don't forget, guys, the John Campion show returns tomorrow, Monday morning. We've already got a bunch of stuff lined up that we're going to talk about. Robert Meyer Burnett will be joining me, of course. And I hope you guys will join us as well. We go live at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and I hope you're part of the show. And by the way, guys, don't forget, you can actually send in those live questions anytime you want. You can send them in while we're doing the show, but you can also send them in in advance if you like so they get in a little bit earlier. Simply go to the tip link that's near the top of the description of this video, and you just click on it there. Or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's reasonable. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of us involved with the John Campy show, thank you guys very, very much for that. All right, guys, that will do it for me. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.